right, well, let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9, as you turn there, we have been studying through the plagues. As I already mentioned here, as we think about the plagues, we know that these, is, these are, can be referred to as the judgment of God or the wrath of God being uh, poured out upon uh, Pharaoh, upon the Egyptians, upon the Egyptian gods. It is also important for us to remember that when God exercises His judgments, He is actually showing mercy. Now the reason why I say that is because anything less than God stamping out the Egyptians and just killing them all, anything less than that is the mercy of God. And so here when we think about the judgment of God, we, we must think here of His mercy. God is a merciful God. He is a patient God. And we see that in the plague. We come now to plague number 7. And we're going to re begin reading in just a moment in Exodus chapter 9. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. We're going to read through the remainder of the chapter. So this is a larger section compared to the other plagues, but I think there's a lot that we can learn here from this particular section. And so we're going to look at plague number seven. If, uh, just by way of reminder, uh, God sent the plagues to, first of all, manifest His power in a public fashion. He sent the plagues to display His wrath against the Pharaoh and against His cruel treatment of the children of Israel. He sent the plagues to exercise judgment upon the gods of the Egyptians and also to demonstrate that He was greater than all other gods. We also know He sent the plagues to stand as a warning to all other nations. Uh, the theme, the idea of uh, Egypt, the redemption from Egyptian bondage is something that is going to be, the, the word is going to go around to all other nations. And it's going to stand as a warning to them that God is a God of judgment. Um, by the way, that's how Rahab is going to believe uh, we also know lastly that God sent the plagues to also test the children of Israel as we study them leaving uh, Egyptian bondage and going into the wilderness wanderings. If you remember when they are uh, standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, they're going to uh, erect a golden calf. Well, where does that idea come from? It comes from Egypt. And so there's no doubt the influence of Egypt that God is trying to a strip away from the minds and the hearts of the children of Israel. And he's doing that by manifesting that all the Egyptians' gods are but false gods. And he shows that by, through each one of those plagues. And so we have finished thus far the first two groups of plagues. Uh, we now begin the third group of plagues, which is the seventh plague. Now I've grouped the plagues, and so let me re re repeat... Um, the things that I've mentioned, I think it's important here because we see a pattern in the first, second, third plague. They're together. Uh, the fourth, fifth, and sixth plagues are together. And then we have another set of plagues, seventh, eighth, and ninth. And the tenth plague stands alone because there's a pattern. The first plague, when the water was turned to blood, Moses was instructed to meet Pharaoh during the morning. 
That is true of plague number four. And it is also true this evening on plague number seven. And so it begins a set of three plagues. Plague two, five, and eight, we see that Moses was instructed to go to Pharaoh and to give him a warning. And the third, sixth, and ninth plague, we see that the plague comes without warning. And so this pattern is repeated three times. In the morning during Pharaoh's worship, three, four, and seven, God, uh, uh, Pharaoh is warned to let the people go. If not, the plague will, will come in plague 2, 5, and 8. And lastly, the, la- the, the last plague in each one of those sections comes without warning because Pharaoh in each case said, I will let the people go, and then he does not let them go, and then that plague comes without warning. And so there's uh, three sets of three. Okay, I hope I didn't confuse anybody tonight. And then the tenth plague stands alone as the death of the firstborn. Now, we come to this seventh plague, and the plague here consists, and we'll read in just a moment, of severe hailstorm, which is accompanied by rain and thunderings and lightnings. And so let's read here Exodus chapter 9. And verse 13, And the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand, that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, Pharaoh, raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. As yet exaltest thou thyself against my people, that Thou wilt not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hell, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die." He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hell in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb of the field, and break every tree of the field. 
only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hell. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time, the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough, that there be no more mighty thunderings in hell, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hell, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. And the flax and the barley was smitten, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was bold. But the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not grown up. And Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord, and the thunders and hail ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. As we think about the seventh plague, I want to bring your attention as Moses comes to Pharaoh and he, before the plague comes, he delivers a message to Pharaoh that I think is most interesting. There are some things that are different that have not yet been manifested in this plague thus far. But notice what Moses says to Pharaoh before the plague in verse 15, 16, and 17. He says, For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence. I'm going to smite you, Pharaoh, and your people with pestilence. And thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, Pharaoh, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. I want to preach this evening on this. God declares His power in Pharaoh. God declares His power in Pharaoh. We're going to go here through our text and try to go verse by verse. And uh, you may ask, well, why do you spend all that time reading every verse that you're going to cover and then cover all the verses? Let me explain why I do that is because I believe that God's Word is more important than anything I have to say. And as God's people, if we're going to be people of the book, then we need to read every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so my feeble attempt as, as an explanation sometimes may not be adequate, but God's Word will always be adequate. As we look at our text here, we uh, come to the seventh plague and Again, there are things that are repeated. And some of the things that I'm going to mention here tonight have already been said, but I think it's important for me to repeat that because it's repeated again and again during those plagues. Uh, Moses here was commanded again in verse 13 to stand before Pharaoh at the hour of uh, uh, early in the morning, which, as I mentioned already, would be the time when Pharaoh would go by the river, mostly a lot of the temples... 
of the pagan Egyptian gods were erected along the Nile River. And so the Pharaoh would go early in the morning, and that is when typically, by tradition, he would go and offer some type of worship, probably every day to a different temple, and he would offer worship to a, an Egyptian god. It is interesting now that we get to plague seventh, and Pharaoh is still worshiping the false gods. He still has not learned the lesson that the gods of the Egyptians again and again have been defeated, have been proved to be powerless. Early on when the magicians and the sorcerers uh, and the wise men in Egypt, when they tried to duplicate the miracle, they uh, initially tried to duplicate, but they could never take away the plagues. They could only duplicate them in some measure. Finally, by plague number three, they were unable to duplicate the plague. And remember what the magician says. They said, this is the finger of God. And yet here we are in plague seven and Pharaoh is still going in the morning, still offering worship to his false god. And that is exactly when God sends Moses to meet Pharaoh again now for the third time. Moses is repeating here the message that he has already been delivered. The first time it was delivered was in Exodus chapter five, verse one. Let the people go that they may serve me. It's later repeated in uh, chapter 7, verse 16, chapter 8, verse 1, chapter 8, verse 20, and chapter 9, verse 1. And here again, in chapter 9, verse 13, notice the words, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And so this repetition here may seem to be tiresome. We're reading this over and over again. But it reveals for us here a number of important truths. First of all, that God is gracious and merciful. <laughs> That's what I conclude. I mean, we've read this over and over again. I conclude here that God is gracious and merciful. How? Because God did not wipe out the Egyptians entirely. The plagues, as I mentioned, are judgments that actually communicate the mercy of God because God up to this point has had the right to wipe them out, but He has not done so yet. So God is gracious and merciful, but also secondly, the repetition communicates that the heart of man is so wicked that even when it is convinced, it still refuses to bend the knee. You see, there is nothing that Pharaoh can say and deny that would be rational. He has seen the plagues. Remember, on a certain amount of them, he inquired when the cattle died. Uh, God had said that all the cattle of the Egyptians would die, but the cattle of the children of Israel would not die. He inquired. He sent servants to check on the cattle, and not one cattle of the children of Israel died. So Pharaoh has seen. He's observed all of that. And so there is no way rationally, if he is a rational human being, that he can deny. He has been convinced already, but yet he still does not bow the knee which reveals the wickedness of the human heart. The Hebrews, uh, as we think about what is repeated here, the Bible says here, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. The Hebrews, we are reminded here, belong to God. They did not belong to Pharaoh. The basis of their, also their demanded freedom is not just for them to be free. It's for them to be free so that they can serve God. You see, Pharaoh, Moses, and the children of Israel are going to remember the, re the, re the repetition of those words. Let my people go, 
that they may serve me. Let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go that they may serve me. Now why should we serve the Lord? Well, first of all, based on the text, we should serve God because we belong to Him. The children of Israel belong to God. And therefore they should serve God because they belong to Him. And by the way, today as New Testament believers, we are bought with a price. That's what the Bible says. And therefore, because we are bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ, we should serve Him. We are free from sin to serve God. But also we serve God because we are free to serve Him. Let the people go, not so that they might be free. Let the people go so that they're free to serve. And we must be reminded as Christians that the freedom from sin and the penalty and the consequences of sin is there not just to provide freedom, but freedom to serve the Lord. As we proceed in verse 14, the Bible says, For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people. Now it's interesting here because there's an added dimension to the seventh plague. The, the plague here is going to affect, yes, Pharaoh's servants and his people. Uh, no doubt, thus far, the plagues have caused great physical pain. We could think about the swarms of flies, a devoured man, the boils that caused pain. There would be a pain in the pocketbook and the death of the cattle and so on. So there's been a lot of physical pain. But notice here, the Pharaoh's servants and his people, but also, he says, but also his heart. Did you see that? Verse 14. I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart. You see, in this plague, the heart of Pharaoh is going to be affected. The heart of Pharaoh is going to be afflicted by the plague. There will be physical agony, but also inward agony. This is a message specifically for Pharaoh. Pharaoh will come away from this seventh plague knowing that there is no one like Jehovah God in all the earth. There is no Egyptian God that can be compared to Jehovah. Notice verse 14 at the end. He says, uh, he says I'm going to send the plague upon thine heart, upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know, you Pharaoh, I want you to know Pharaoh, that there is none like me, none like Jehovah God in all the earth. So Pharaoh is going to come away from this seventh plague with a greater understanding and knowledge as to who God is. In verse 15, the Bible says, For now I will stretch out my hand, and that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. Verse 16 and in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power that, that, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. You see, by the time it is all said and done, this is what Pharaoh is going to realize. And this is what Moses is telling to Pharaoh. Moses tells Pharaoh, by the time we're done with this, you're going to come to the following understanding. Now, I've labeled the following uh, uh, the, the, uh, Pharaoh's understanding in the following three, uh, three sentences. First of all, Pharaoh will know God. 
Notice verse 14. That thou mayest know that there is none like me in the earth. So when this is done, Pharaoh is going to know something about God. Now let me just say right off the bat that knowing something about God does not make you a redeemed person. Does not make you really a believer in the sense that Pharaoh obviously believes the plagues. Believes that Jehovah God is alive and that He is powerful but does not believe unto repentance. He does not believe enough to humble himself under the God that he has acknowledged already. And so uh, Pharaoh is going to know God in a greater way than he knew Him before. We also see in verse 15, he says, I will smite thee for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power. So this is what Pharaoh is going to come away with. Pharaoh will come away with an understanding that God used him. Used him? Yes, used him. Well, well, wait a minute. Wicked heart. Wicked king. He acknowledged himself here in this very chapter to be a sinner and the Egyptian people to be a wicked people. And so, uh, what do you mean? Uh, Well, think about it here. God says that uh, for this purpose have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power. We have to continue reading that that, that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. And so here is Pharaoh who has been up to this point standing in opposition to God. Every time the words have been said, let my people go, let my people go, Pharaoh said no. He said to himself, I've seen God reveal himself, but I'm going to continue to stand against God. I'm going to continue to stand against the demands of God. And God finally tells Pharaoh in plague number seven, he says, you know what? I've given you the power that you have and I've raised you up. And you know what? I'm going to use your evil to declare my power and my greatness in all the earth. And that's the kind of God we have. Now, lest we forget, uh, this is very similar to the cross. When we think about the cross, we think about those who, by wicked hands, they crucified and slain Jesus Christ. But the Bible also tells us that by the uh, predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God... Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified. And so God, when you think about the cross, God planned the cross. He planned for Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the world. But God in His infinite wisdom and knowledge, in His foreknowledge, He knew that their evil would be the cause of man's redemption. And in the same way today, all the world has an opportunity to hear about what Jesus Christ did because of the evil deeds of men. And so it is in the case for Pharaoh. Pharaoh has just been opposition to God. And in that opposition, God tells Pharaoh, I'm going to use your opposition, Pharaoh, and your wickedness for my glory. So Pharaoh will know God. Pharaoh will be used of God. But also, Pharaoh will declare God. Now, not directly where Pharaoh himself is going to acknowledge. The acknowledgement that Pharaoh makes is really not done in sincerity, as we'll see in this very chapter. But nonetheless, Pharaoh indirectly will declare God. Uh, Verse uh, 15, For now I will stretch out my hand, that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth, 
And in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So Pharaoh, in essence, you're opposing me. But you're going to come away from those plagues realizing that you've actually declared my name. Psalm 76 verse 10 says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shall thou restrain. And so the Psalm 76 10, Surely the wrath of man shall praise the Lord. We, 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 we in our maybe finite mind, we say, How is that even possible that the wrath of man could praise the name of God? Well, we have an example right here. In the plagues. Verse 17 of Exodus 9, the Bible says, As yet exalteth thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go. Now here Moses confronts Pharaoh initially with what I believe to be at the root of the rebellion against God. What is the root issue here? Well, notice verse 17 tells us. Moses speaks to Pharaoh as God's messenger, and he says to Pharaoh, As yet exaltest thou thyself against my people. Now Moses is speaking on behalf of God, so this is God speaking to Pharaoh. And he says to Pharaoh, you are exalting yourself against my people that thou wilt not let them go. So what is at the root of uh, of Pharaoh's rebellion? It is this, pride. Pride. That, and by the way, that's, not my, that's what God says. Pride is your issue, Pharaoh. The waters were turned to blood seven days. There was frogs everywhere. Remember uh, when all the frogs died, they put them in heaps all throughout the land of Egypt. Then all the dust of the land became lysed on the human body and the bodies of the beasts. Then there was grievous swarms of flies that devoured uh, the human body. Then there was the death of the livestock which took away much of Egyptian wealth. And then there's the boils on the body which uh, really was an attack upon Egyptian health. And so Pharaoh already possesses all the evidence that he needs to be convinced. Indeed, he has been convinced initially. You remember what he said uh, when uh, Moses and Aaron first came to Pharaoh... They said, let the people go, that they may serve God and uh, offer a feast unto the Lord in the wilderness. You remember what Pharaoh said in Exodus 5 verse 2? Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And so his conclusion was, I don't know God, but I say to us at plague number 7, He knows God now. He knows the power of God. He's witnessed the power of God, and yet he remains, although he is convinced, he remains unrepentant. Pharaoh already possesses all the evidence that he needs to be convinced. At the onset, Pharaoh did not know the Lord, but now Pharaoh has learned some things about the Lord. Pharaoh does not need more evidence. Pharaoh needs to bow. Do you understand the difference? And I think it's very important because I think sometimes we might even, as God's people, those who are redeemed, we might believe in God. There's been enough evidence for us that God is true and God is alive and God is powerful. 
And, and the issue with us is not that we don't have enough evidence. The issue with us often is that we will not bow the knee. We will not humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We will not listen when He speaks to us. We will ignore Him or we will push away the conviction of the Spirit of God. We don't need more evidence. What we need is the pride to be knocked out of us. That's what we need. But when pride is present, it is so hard to knock it out. You see, just because someone knows that there is a God does not mean that they are willing to humble themselves before Him. Now, what is this judgment? How is this judgment described? I'm going to here go out of order, but I want to pick out the verses where the Bible describes this plague. Notice verse 18. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Notice down to verse 23. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Verse 24, So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. Verse 28, When Pharaoh asked Moses and Aaron, he says, Entreat the Lord that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail. Now a reference here is made in verse 18 and also in verse 24, of the past history of Egypt, of the nation of Egypt. You see, Egypt became a nation when the people of that area, of that land, decided to unite themselves as a nation. He talks about when uh, Egypt, at the foundation of Egypt, so when Egypt became a nation, uh, nothing since the founding of that country has ever been seen in the land of Egypt like this plague. He goes on to say, even described in verse 23 and 24, we see that this is going to be the word grievous is used repeatedly throughout our text. So the people here are, think about it, we've already had six plagues. The people are still dealing with recovery from the previous plagues. But really this plague, as it is described in our text, is going to be severe and it, all, it is also going to separate between the Egyptians and the children of Israel. In other words, the hail is not going to, to, to fall in the land of Goshen. It's going to fall throughout all the land of Egypt, but not the land of Goshen. Uh, what is described for us in verse 23, uh, the hail, there's thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground. So we see lightning, thundering, hell, rain, fire running along the ground. Now, the description of running, that means the fire was moving quickly throughout the land. Uh, there is a description here of the crops that were affected, but you can imagine the fire just running everywhere and devastating. Uh, so understand what happened here. Men, any man who was out in the field died. Any beast that was out in the field died. And all crops that had already grown were burned. 
Now there is, later in the chapter we'll observe that, there is one part of the, 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 the I guess the agriculture that hasn't grown yet. But that's going to be affected by the locusts that are coming a little later. But the point is here, anything that is about ready to be harvested is going to be destroyed. So this is a very severe plague. But this is very interesting in this particular plague because we not only see the devastation and the severity of this plague and the division between Egypt and the children of Israel, but we also see a way of escape. Now this is interesting because so far the plagues are just going to come. Some of those plagues, there's going to be a division between the Egyptians and the children of Israel, but there's been nothing given thus far whereby when the plague comes, this is how you escape the plague. But this one does. Now notice verse 19 through 21. This is Moses. And again, this shows the mercy of God. He says, I'm going to judge you. This is what's coming. Here is how you can survive it. Well, that's a merciful God, if you ask me. Notice verse 19. Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. He that feared the the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that gathered not the word of the Lord, uh, regarded not the word of the Lord, uh, left his servants and his cattle in the field. And so here, the way of escape was mentioned by Moses. Uh, We remember the verse where the Bible says, In wrath, remember mercy. God always remembers mercy in wrath. Now, I want to point out a few things about the way of escape. First of all, the way of escape was provided. In other words, what I'm saying to us is the Egyptians and their animals in the field did not have to die. They could have escaped the judgment. So a way of escape was provided. Secondly, the way of escape was also unmerited. <laughs> In other words, Moses didn't say, all right, now, now you, you all, if you offer a sacrifice or if you do this, this, and this. No, he says, look, judgment is coming. Here's how you escape it. Tomorrow when the judgment comes, make sure all your servants and your cat uh, or uh, whatever animal you have, that they're in the houses, that they're undercover. There is no merit in that. It was unmerited. The way of escape also was simple. It was not difficult, right? They didn't have to do anything peculiar. They just had to tell all their servants and and to, to, to take all their animals and to bring them in the stables and in the houses. And when, the word, when you find the word house, is not literally in your house. It's in a place that has cover. Also, we see that the way of, of escape was made known to all. Everybody heard. This is how you escape. It's coming tomorrow. When it, before it comes, do this. You will escape. Everybody knew. And also, five, fifthly, the way of escape was based on the word of God. Now, I just think, up to this time, up to this point, (laughs) why would anybody keep their servants and their animals out in the field? 
Haven't you seed enough? There's been six plagues already. Why now, plague seven? Would you ignore the warning? Uh, up to this point, there's been no way of escape, but now there's a way of escape. Why would you not heed that warning? Well, that could only be a fool. A fool. You see, the fool is the man who does not think that judgment would happen even after ample evidence. That's a fool. He does not think that judgment is coming. The Bible says the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. What does that mean? There is no judgment coming. There is no accountability for me. That's a fool. The fool also is the man who did not heed the advice when he had nothing to lose. They didn't have to bring money to the Israelites. They didn't, ha they didn't have to offer their livestock to the Israelites. All they had to do is, plague's coming tomorrow. Before it comes, bring your servants and your animals in, and you'll be spared. Uh, they had nothing to lose. Now, what makes a man... A fool. I think the words that we have for us here reveal that. Verse 20. And he that, what's the next word? Feared the word of the Lord. Among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. Now I think just interesting to point out here. He didn't say he that feared the Lord. He that feared the word of the Lord. What I'm saying is there, there is already fear in the land of Egypt. Wouldn't you be fear, fearful? Water turned to blood. Frogs everywhere. The place where you sleep. The dishes you eat in. Dust becoming lice on your body. Swarms of flies that devour uh, human flesh. The death of livestock. Uh, all their livestock, all their wealth is gone. The boils upon the body and the great searing pain that they endured. And so we think about that here. There was already a fear of God in what He could do. But here He says, those who fear the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. You see, this is how God works. God sends His Word so that men might heed His Word. Well, I'll wait till I'll see a judgment. No, we need to fear the Word of God. Because the Word of God always precedes the wrath of God. In verse 21, And he that regarded not the Word of the Lord left his servants... You see, the fool is a fool because he does not fear the word of the Lord. When a man does not fear the Lord, he will not regard the word of the Lord. That's exactly what happened here. They didn't fear the word of the Lord. And when you don't fear the word of the Lord, you don't give regard to the word of the Lord. Now let's just spend some time here with application. Because here that doesn't just apply to the Egyptian pagan realm 
or to the unregenerate realm, it applies to the regenerate realm, those who are saved. Somebody may say, well, you know, I, I fear God, I fear God, and, and my reply to you would be this, do you have regard for God's Word? In other words, you may come to church and say, well, I fear God, and so that's why I come to church. But when you see what the Word of God says, and you hear the Word of God taught and preached, and if you leave this place discontented and say, well, I just don't agree with what uh, the Bible says, and I just don't agree with what God says, and I, I would say to you that you don't fear God at all. Because if you fear God, you will regard His Word. And if you don't regard His Word, it's because you don't fear God. And by the way, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It is the beginning of wisdom. And so we as believers are not immune to be fools. In other words, we know that God is alive. We have His Word. But we live in such a way as if there was no God. You see, the fool is not the one who makes it as who makes it declares that there is no God. It's the fool is the one who lives as if there was none. And as Christian as it's possible for us to go by our days, to go by our life and completely ignore the God of the Bible who's trying to speak to us. We must regard His Word. If we don't, we do not fear Him. We come to verse 25, and the Bible says, Notice, And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both men and beasts, and the hail smote every herb of the field, and break every tree of the field. This seventh plague has ha, ha, had an impact not seen thus far. And that is this, so far, up as far as we know in the Bible, no man or woman has died. There's been the death of the cattle, boils on the body, lice on the body, swarms of flower, flies devouring the body, a lot of suffering, human suffering, physical suffering, but no death as far as we can see. So this is new here, the death of the people. People have no doubt been suffering. However, in this plague, people die. As a matter of fact, every man that was in the field died. Every beast that was in the field died. All the crops that were growing were destroyed. And what was Pharaoh's reaction? Verse 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time, the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Now, at the onset we say, oh, well, that, that's, that sounds good. And that's exactly what it is. It sounds good. It sounds very good. We see an admission of his own sinfulness, right? Is that what he says? I have sinned. There's an admission of God's righteousness. Now when he says that God is righteous, you know what he is saying is God has the right to judge us. There's also an admission of Egyptian wickedness in general. We're all wicked people. Why? Because we're pagan worshipers. 
So at the onset here, notice again, entreat the Lord, for it is enough. Now it's in parentheses, so he thought that. I'm tired, I've had enough. People have died that were in the field. Beasts have died in the field. All the crops that were ready for harvest are gone. It's enough. I think you're starting to see Pharaoh coming to the end of himself. And so, notice what he says. That there be no more mighty thunderings in hell, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. So here, entreat the Lord. Now after he said, I have sinned, the Lord is righteous, I and my people are wicked. And then he says, now entreat the Lord. And, and so here there is a condition. If you do away with the hell and the thunderings, if you do that, then I will let you go. This is a condition-based repentance. Condition-based repentance is no repentance at all. You see, adding a condition is actually a form of disobedience. Now, why do I say that? Because of what Moses says. Moses tells him, Notice verse 30. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. Why? There's been a condition. Well, God, if you take away the hill, then I'll let the people go. That is not repentance. I have sinned. You're righteous. The people are wicked. So please take away the hail. But as soon as the hail goes away, then I'm not sinful anymore. And the people are not wicked. And God is not righteous. So, verse 29, Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone, uh, gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hell, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. So, the fact that Pharaoh... Asked for Moses and Aaron to take away the plague is evidence that he feared God. But it's not the right type of fear. Moses says, you don't really fear the Lord. So, what, what, what does that mean? Okay. The wrong type of fear is interested in convenience. The right type of fear is interested in bowing down before God. And Pharaoh is not interested in that. You see, <laughs> Moses grants Pharaoh's request at the same time that he tells him, I know you don't fear God. Even though he knows Pharaoh still does not fear God, even though he knows that Pharaoh is probably going to go back on his word, although he knows that God is not fooled. You find that example throughout the Bible. Let me give you, let's go to one example. I think that uh, it's, a, it's a clear example that helps us with this text. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, in 1 Samuel 15, we know this is the account where uh, Saul, the first king of Israel, was commanded to go to the Amalekites and to slay Agag the king, all that they had to keep nothing alive. So, God tells Samuel the prophet to go confront Saul about his disobedience. Samuel arrives, Saul says, Samuel, man of God, I've obeyed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel's like, what, what, what is this I hear? Is that the, the sheep that I hear? The oxen, the goat, is it? Is it? Well, you know, the, the people, they kept back part, you know. They wanted to offer sacrifice, that's why they did that. They wanted to offer sacrifice to God. And the people wanted that, so you know, what, what, what could I do? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just the king, but the people wanted that. Now, the conversation goes back and forth, but I want to bring your attention to verse 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own eyes... Okay, so here's the problem. What happened to Saul? Pride. Was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel, and the Lord sent thee on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed? Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yeah, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, if I was there, my urge, and my name is Samuel, so I can insert myself in there. The man needs to be slapped. That's what I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, what are you talking about? I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag the king. Wait a minute. God said to do the opposite. What are you talking about obeying God? Verse 21. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Now, do you get that? Same thing with Pharaoh. You've rejected the word of the Lord. Saul knew God. He was anointed under the authority of God. But he rejected the word of God. He hath rejected thee from being king. Now, notice verse 24. This is where we see the similarity. Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. Oh, good. He acknowledges, wait, wait, wait. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I fear the people and obey their voice. So yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I fear I was under pressure, peer pressure, you know how that goes. And so I, I, I did not do what God wanted me to do. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not turn with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. Now, do you catch that? Saul, Samuel turns around, and Samuel goes after him. He is on the ground. He pulls his mantle, and it rips. 
What, why, what does he say when that happens? Verse 28, And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day. Now that's like a quick witness there. Oh, you've just ripped my mantle? God's ripped your kingdom away from you. That's pretty good there. Notice he says, And hath given it to a, 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 a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned. Here it is. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. So Samuel succumbed. But the point you see here, do you hear that? I have sinned, yet honor me now. There is no honor in sin. The only reason why Saul wants to repent, the only reason why Saul acknowledges himself to be a sinner is because he wants to be recognized before the people. He is not interested in submitting himself to God. He is interested in propping himself up through repentance. I've said this quote before. I think it was F.B. Meyer said that sometimes we are so humble that we are proud of the spirit of humility. So, Pharaoh is not interested in repentance. He's interested in comfort. And by the way, that's like the gods of the Egyptians. That's the pattern. You see, the Egyptians worship the gods of the Egyptians... Because the blessings they receive. And so what Pharaoh is really interested in is blessings. Wealth, money, power, fame, recognition. That's what he is really interested in. He is not interested in humbling himself under the sight of God. And yet Moses still takes away the hell. Now, do you see here what's going on? Pharaoh is confronted that his repentance is not in sincerity. And yet God is still merciful towards him. You know, when the Bible says the goodness of God leads us to repentance, that's exactly what he's talking about. Pharaoh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. Uh, remove the hell and I'll let you go. And Moses says, you're not honest, but God will give you what you want, nonetheless. You know, I wonder how persistent we have been in our disobedience and how long God has allowed us to go without bringing down His chastening hand. Do not reason with your sin, thinking it is okay, because God has done nothing to you. Do not reason with your sin, thinking it's okay, because God has done nothing to you. It is that God is merciful. Allow His goodness and His mercy to drive you to your knees, 
in repentance before him. Verse 30, But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord. Verse 31 and 32, The flax and the barley was smitten, for the barley was in the ears and the flax was bold. Now that just simply means that those two, that harvest, they, they did harvest in stages. And so this was almost harvest time. The expression that the a barley was in the ear and the flax was bold, that means it was about to be harvested. It was fully ripe. And that's when God struck with the hail and destroyed all that. Verse 32 says, But the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not grown up. And so basically they probably had little buds or they were about to come out. They would do things in different stages. And so God wipes out the first stage of harvest and when the second stage of harvest is about to come, we're going to see the locusts are just going to devour the rest of it. And so maybe Pharaoh thinks, well, we got away with there's the, the next harvest that's going to come and that hasn't been affected yet. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Let me mention a few things here from John Davis and his studies on the gods of Egypt. He says, we know from e Egyptian documents that the loss of crops was one of the greatest disasters in the country. The economy and the life of people were very much involved in agricultural success. The failure brought not only economic desperation, but led to social disruption and great sorrow. What, would be, uh, what were the worshipers of Nut, who was an Egyptian god, have thought when they looked skyward not to see the blessings of the sun and its warmth, but the tragedy of storm and violence. Nut was the sky goddess. It was from her domain that this tragedy originated. One reflects upon the responsibilities of both Isis and Seth, who also had responsibilities relating to agricultural crops. Uh, the uh, black and burnt fields of flax were a silent testimony of the impotence and incapability of wooden and stone deities. They indeed had ears, but they did not hear. The destruction of the crop of flax is also significant since it was the flax which provided the linen for the garments of the priests throughout the land of Egypt. So there's a lot going on here, but we read as we conclude verse 32. And when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So what do we learn here? God declares His power in Pharaoh. When it's all said and done, God has given a message to Pharaoh. God's going to be glorified and God's going to use you, Pharaoh, and your wickedness to glorify and to lift up the name of God. And that's how, who God is. Now, for application for us, I think we need to think about how God works you know God is very patient and kind and merciful towards us 
because God, as the Bible says, does not judge us according to our sins. Uh, in Sunday school this morning, we talked about the doctrine of sin. And um, I hope when we think about those plagues, I, I hope that the emphasis has a different, uh, a different impact than I think initially might be intended by those who would read through the plagues. People might say, look at that mean God. All that He's doing. That's mean and He's destructive. And I hope that what we're seeing here is the exact opposite. God is patient and kind and merciful. And so that should drive us to our knees because the God who has the power in just one moment's notice to wipe us out continues to provide the breath that we breathe today. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And so let's develop a greater appreciation for God and a greater desire to serve Him who no doubt, I hope we see, He is infinitely worthy of our service, of our adoration, of our worship, of our dedication of our lives. And so let's give ourselves to Him.